Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 31 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Listener caution is advised, as this episode contains adult themes and descriptions that some listeners may find distressing. The fire was intense. The strap of the victim's wristwatch had disintegrated. The hands of the watch, still visible, had stopped moving at 2.58am. About the same time, its wearer had lost their life. Brighton is a popular resort town on the south coast of England. Unique shops, a pier and the striking Royal Pavilion, all of which attracts tourists in their droves every year, enjoying the Shingle Beach, amusement arcades and fish and chips by the sea. Seaside locations like Brighton also attract people who want to start over. A new beginning, taking in the clean sea air unknown to the people around them. That was precisely why Glyndor Collins and Brenda McCauley moved to Brighton. The couple had been living there just six weeks, when in September 1974, they were spending the evening in a pub. They crossed paths with a stranger, who invited them back to his flat to drink after hours. The horrors of that night would not be easily forgotten, 
by the emergency crew who attended the scene. Coventry-born Glyndor Collins was one of four sons, raised by parents Edward and Mabel Collins. Two of Glyndor's brothers grew up to be local Labour MPs, but Glyndor chose to take a very different path in life. As a young man, he served a short stint in the army with the Queen's Dragoon Guards. But by his early 20s, he already had a criminal record which included charges for obtaining drugs by forged instrument, shoplifting and larceny. In 1959, Glyndor Collins was in his mid-twenties, registered as living in Coventry on Bramble Street, working as a process clerk. His name was featured in several articles for the local newspaper, the Coventry Evening Telegraph. Collins had been caught driving while disqualified in the early hours of March that year. He had received a year-long driving ban a few months before in Cornwall, but chose instead to continue driving anyway. In addition, the car was neither taxed or insured. He pleaded guilty to all charges. When talking about Glyndor Collins, a police officer told the court he believed, quote, the real trouble is in his mental makeup. In a statement to police, Glyndor said, I knew I couldn't get a license because I am disqualified, so I decided to pinch one. I took it home and scratched out the old number. Voicing some remorse, Collins went on to say, I bought the car two weeks ago for fifties. I had been to see a man about doing it up. I know I have been a damned fool. Glyndor Collins had already spent time in a psychiatric facility called Lee House in Warwick and was willing to return. Later that month, the court decided that Collins would be disqualified from driving for seven years. He was also given two years probation and a fine with the condition of residence at a psychiatric hospital. In April 1960, just over a year later, Collins was again before a judge, this time for stealing from a public house in London. He had taken £12 in cash and several items, which included a notebook, towel and jumper, which amounted to around £13. He was found guilty and faced a conditional discharge for 12 months. Warning Collins, the judge, Mr Rees, told him, "'Take heed for the future.' and keep out of trouble. On Valentine's Day 1964, Glyndor Collins was in court once more, this time to answer to a charge of intent to defraud. Druminal, a drug otherwise known as Purple Hearts, is half barbiturate, used to calm, and half amphetamine, an additive to lift the mood. The medication can be habit-forming. Collins had obtained the drugs by using a forged prescription taken from an acquaintance who had been prescribed the medication. By March 1966, it seemed as though Collins was caught up in a cycle of theft and substance abuse. 
The then 32-year-old was sentenced by a Coventry magistrate to a year in prison. Two six-month sentences to run consecutively for breaking and entering and for obtaining the drug Driminal with a forged prescription. In court, Collins described himself as a stage director but had no fixed abode. A police officer present said the defendant was known to be homeless and had been for some time. Collins had two accomplices, one of whom was 21-year-old Kenneth Wood, who also appeared in court. He avoided jail time for handling stolen goods, but was ordered to pay a £30 fine. Another man, 35-year-old James McGoran, admitted to breaking and entering with Collins and was placed on probation for two years. A chemist on Hollyhead Road in Coventry was broken into after the culprit scaled a 20-foot wall that surrounded the property. They damaged a door and smashed a window. Along with James McGoran, Collins stole a variety of things, including prescription drugs from behind the counter, along with toiletries, a radio, 13 bottles of shampoo, two tubes of toothpaste, 17 foreign coins, eight packets of razor blades, 34 packets of gum, and cosmetics. The drugs stolen amounted to 2,110 phenobarbitone tablets, a medication used to treat seizures, 125 pethidine tablets, a drug with similar effects to morphine, 234 morphine vials, and 200 prescription forms. The forms were taken to obtain drugs at a later date, under the guise that a doctor had prescribed them. Collins' accomplice, Kenneth Wood, had previously told the court that he had stored the stolen items in a locked shed, as he claimed Glyndor Collins confided in him that he was going to take the tablets to commit suicide. He said Collins seemed emotionally disturbed. The 21-year-old had been asked by Collins to sell the cosmetic items, as he thought this might bring in some money. Kenneth Wood had let Collins and another man, who was also homeless, stay the night in a van of his which he had been using for an ultimately unsuccessful pop group he was managing as the men had nowhere else to go. Collins had by this time spent 18 months of the last two years as a resident in Central Hospital, a psychiatric facility in Hatton, Warwick, which later closed its doors in 1994. Six weeks before the trial, Glyndor Collins made an unsuccessful attempt on his life. Glyndor Collins' life continued on a similar path, and more court dates would follow. He spent another year behind bars for breaching the conditions of his parole. He again stole the prescription pad and obtained Driminal through a forged prescription. After his release, Collins managed to hold down a job as a butcher. In his spare time, he enjoyed painting, and even had one of his works displayed at the Herbert Art Gallery in Coventry. In 1973, Collins married a woman called Simone after an eight-week whirlwind romance, but he was again brought before a judge and again sentenced to time in Central Hospital. Collins had been arrested and charged, 
this time for attacking his new wife. He pleaded guilty to unlawful and malicious wounding. It was while receiving treatment to overcome his alcohol addiction, he met Brenda McCauley, a fellow patient at the hospital. At first, they bonded over a mutual love of painting. At 27, Brenda was over a decade younger than Collins. She was married and had a two-year-old child. Heavy drinking had been a concern for about a year, but she was now in the throes of alcoholism and in need of professional treatment. When the pair left hospital, their relationship continued. As a consequence, both of their young marriages dissolved. As history continued to repeat itself, Glyndor Collins appeared before a Coventry magistrate. However, this time he was joined by Brenda McCauley. The couple were facing deception charges, relating to leaving several restaurants and hotels without paying the bill. Brenda McCauley, maiden name Baton, had been married for three and a half years to Ronald McCauley, a toolmaker, before she left him for Glyndor Collins. Brenda left her son in his father's care, leaving Coventry to start a new life together with Collins in Brighton. Perhaps the move was a way to start over, a chance to leave their troubled past behind. The couple settled in a small flat on St Paul Street during early August 1974. Brenda found a job in a packing factory, though her partner's search for employment wasn't as fruitful. The last position he held was as a gravedigger, but that did not last. The couple were living only off Brenda's wages. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Centair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand. And now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safe for families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to Centair.com and using promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at Centair.com. On September 23rd, 1974, Brenda and Glindor went out to the Brighton Tavern pub at approximately 10pm. They sat together in the corner unnoticed until an awkward exchange with the landlord, John Ross Killy, when he discovered they had snuck in a bottle of their own spirits instead of buying alcohol from the pub. Regular Lee Gypsy Ford was also drinking in the Brighton Tavern and had arrived not long before 11pm, just prior to closing time. Ford went to the bar and asked for a bottle of scotch and vodka to take away. He pulled a thick wedge of cash from his pocket and paid landlord John Ross Killy with a £20 note. From the corner of the pub calling over to Lee Ford, Lindor Collins asked if he was going to have a party. Ford responded, I'm not going to have a party, but I'm going home for a drink. You're welcome to come if you want to. The couple already intoxicated readily accepted the proposal from Lee Ford, and keen to continue drinking, they stumbled to the antique dealer's flat. The trio was seen by a witness laughing and joking outside the premises by a man walking his dog before they disappeared. All was quiet, and no one noticed anything, just new acquaintances drinking until the early hours of the morning. That was until the next-door neighbour was jolted awake at about 1am by the sound of a raised voice. He could hear a commotion coming from the flat, intermittent shouting, and what he recognised as Lee Ford's voice, then furniture moving. But around 3am, the next sound to cut through the air was the piercing sirens of a fire engine, A police officer on his routine patrol through the winding streets of central Brighton saw smoke coming from the flat. He discovered the blaze before it swept through adjoining properties. The firemen fought the intense flames, but soon made a grim discovery. The body of a male was found in the kitchen. 
it was evident that he was brutally attacked before the fire had crept towards him. A cheese knife was left protruding from his body. The body of a female lay on the floor in the living room. The remains had been so badly burned that it was impossible to make an identification on sight alone. On Wednesday, September 25th, Glyndor Collins was identified, though police were trying to inform his family before they released any details to the media. At the time, officers were still unsure of who the female victim was. Initially, it was believed the woman could have been any one of several unknowns who often visited the flat. It was necessary to use dental records. On Thursday, September 26th, the identity of the second person who perished in the fire was confirmed. The next day, both their names were made public. Glyndor Collins and his partner Brenda Dorothy McCauley. A team of 30 officers were assigned to the case, which was now being treated as a murder inquiry. Superintendent James Marshall asked the public, quote, We appeal to anyone who can help us to come forward. This is a particularly vicious crime. He said the assault on Glyndor Collins was an attack of unparalleled ferocity. Detectives followed every lead, including visiting Brenda in Glyndor's hometown of Coventry, but every avenue of the inquiry led to a dead end. The owner of the flat, Lee Ford, was nowhere to be seen. Lee Ford was known locally as Gypsy. The 40-year-old businessman rented an antique shop called The Shop at Sly Corner, which he named after a well-known whodunit play that was later turned into a film in the 1940s. The Regency-style building was located on Kensington Place, off the popular Brighton shopping spot of Trafalgar Street. Lee Ford also rented and lived alone in the flat above the shop. He was believed to have a wife and a young child, but people hadn't seen them visit his flat or shop in the last few months. Ford was successful at what he did. He made a good living reselling the interesting antique items he came across. It afforded him to indulge in his love of cars. Ford was known to have been driving a Rolls-Royce a few months before the murders. He had sold the car and purchased a white Ford Mustang with number plate PLN 482E. Though reporters noted the car was still outside the shop in the days following the murders. The shop Ford had run was a walkable distance from the busy Brighton train station, where direct trains to London and then to anywhere in the country departed. Was Lee Ford injured? Did he get a taxi or a friend to give him a lift to wherever he was going? Police had little to go on. A warrant was issued for Lee Ford's arrest. (laughs) 
a reporter for the Coventry Evening Telegraph interviewed the victims' families. Ronald McCauley, Brenda's ex-husband, spoke about the disintegration of their marriage. He said, Things between us hadn't been too good for a while. The drinking was the last straw. Ronald McCauley went on to say, Of course I was shocked. You don't marry someone and live with them for that time without still feeling something for them. Another article on the case dated September 26th, read in bold print, The Two Sides of Murder Victim. Glindor's mother Mabel was interviewed. Her son's body was only discovered a couple of days before. She said of Glindor, He was a nice boy who never did anyone any harm except himself. All the trouble he had was because of drink and drugs. This is a terrible thing. Mabel spoke of her son meeting Brenda and her wish for the couple to be happy. Quote, She was a very nice girl. I thought they were going to be happy together. A photograph of Glindor's estranged wife Simone was published in an article for the Coventry Evening Telegraph. It appeared as though it had been captured as she came to the door of her flat above a laundrette in Coventry. At the time of the murders, Glindor's brothers were councillors. Brian Collins was the Labour councillor for Coventry City Council and Philip Collins worked as a councillor for North Warwickshire District Council. Brian Collins complained to the Coventry Evening Telegraph on behalf of his family. He felt the journalist who spoke to his 72-year-old mother, Mabel, only wrote the article because of the political positions he and his brother Philip held. They felt the timing of such an article, in which it mentioned the deceased brother's chequered past, was released to besmirch their party at the time of a general election. The paper published a column defending the actions of the journalist, saying the reporting procedures were standard in such a sensational case. Though Mabel was reluctant, she agreed to a short interview. However, the picture of Simone Collins on her doorstep was not approved. Glindor's brothers had declined to be interviewed when the paper called them for comment. A formal complaint was filed with the press council. It was said that Mabel only let the journalist in her home because in her grief and distress, she assumed they were a police officer. When inside, they let her know who they were and asked her some questions. They asked to take her photograph. She declined their request. Then they asked for pictures of Glindor, which she said she would find later. Mabel's daughter-in-law, who was with her, said to the journalist and photographer, Don't you think we've had enough worry without you barging in here? The journalist said they were invited in. After a review, the press council came to the following conclusion. The life history of a man that has been found dead in violent circumstances may be a matter of legitimate public interest. The council cannot see there is any impropriety in reporting as a matter of record details of the murdered man's history which were, in fact, voluntarily repeated a good deal more in detail in an interview with a member of the family published in another newspaper. This part of the complaint is rejected. 
the political affiliation of Councillor Collins appears to have been published as a matter of routine. The council notes that no political affiliation was attached to his brother, who is, in fact, a member of the Labour Party, and the council thinks there was no sinister intention in the publication of this information. The complaint in this respect is not upheld. The photograph of Mrs. Simone Collins was taken without asking for or obtaining her permission. In these circumstances, it was improper, and this complaint against the Coventry Evening Telegraph is upheld. In June 1975, nine months after the murders, an inquest was held. In the absence of Lee Ford, a jury would decide if he was guilty of murdering Glyndor Collins and Brenda McCauley. Lee Ford's next-door neighbour, Roy Palmer, told those at the inquest about the early morning hours before the bodies were found. He said he went to bed at about midnight. Roy Palmer then heard what he thought to be Lee Ford's voice in the early hours of the morning, shouting, Get out of my house! Following that, there was nothing but silence for about an hour. Roy Palmer told the inquest, I was woken about 1am by the sound of a fight and scuffing and running. Later I was woken again by the sound of furniture being moved. Palmer deduced from the sounds he could hear that Ford was coming off worse than whoever he was tussling with. A safari jacket was also found at the scene and police believe this was worn by the culprit when he carried out the murders. The item of clothing was covered in blood, which they later determined consisted of four blood groups, two of which they matched to the victims. This was puzzling, and most certainly raised a few questions, as it suggested there might have been another individual in the flat at the time of the crime. The full extent of the injuries suffered were revealed. Both Glyndor and Brenda had been brutally attacked. An expert in forensic medicine, Professor Cameron, revealed what wasn't immediately evident to those officers looking at Brenda's smoke-damaged body when she was discovered by a firefighter on September 24th the year before. Professor Cameron explained that Brenda was alive when the fire started due to a substantial level of carbon dioxide in her blood, meaning she had breathed in the smoke before she passed away. The professor said, There is evidence to suggest that she was alive at the time of the fire, but she may not have been conscious or have lived for very long after. There was a large amount of severe bruising around Brenda's head and a two-inch stab wound penetrated the left side of her neck. Lighter fluid was found sprayed around the flat and on Brenda McCauley's body, confirming the fire had been set deliberately to try and dispose of the evidence or make it appear the deaths were caused by the fire. Detective Edmund Jago examined both of the bodies at the scene and he said that the strap on Brenda's wristwatch had turned to ash, with the hands of the smoke-damaged watch stopping at 2.58 in the morning. The detective described finding Glyndor Collins' lifeless body in the kitchen, face down in a pool of his own blood. 
Detective Jago said the knife left in the victim was plunged up to the hilt. A total of 38 wounds and abrasions were noted on Glyndor Collins' body. 14 of those were stab wounds. Collins' injuries were so extensive that the attack could have continued even after he received the fatal wound. The index finger on his right hand was so badly damaged by the knife, it was almost severed. A lung had partially collapsed and his body was covered in bruises. He had received a vicious blow to the head, which bled profusely. In his summary, Professor Cameron described the murders as savage. The kitchen was in disarray, unknown whether it had been ransacked for weapons or valuables, or turned over in a scuffle. Blood wasn't just found in the two rooms where the bodies were discovered. It was all over the flat, in the bath, on the walls, on the stairs, with some even coating alcohol bottles around the flat. Everywhere except the room where Lee Ford stored some of his old shop stock. That room appeared to be untouched. It was concluded Brenda McCauley was beaten and Glyndor Collins was stabbed to death. An officer working on the case assured the inquest the detective search for Lee Ford stretched as far as America and included European destinations like Amsterdam, but he was nowhere to be seen. East Sussex coroner John Dodd advised the jury to return a verdict that Glyndor Collins and Brenda McCauley had been murdered and informed them it was their job to decide who killed them. He also said the trio at the flat had been drinking heavily and were all probably highly intoxicated that evening. The foreman of the all-male inquest jury stood up and gave a unanimous verdict. Lee Ford was guilty of the murders of Glyndor Collins and Brenda McCauley, but his whereabouts were still unknown. Over four years after the inquest, information on the investigation appeared in the small pages of local newspapers. The head of Brighton CID said, We followed up a lot of leads and made inquiries throughout the country, but these drew a blank. It was confirmed there was still a warrant for the arrest of Lee Ford. The case went cold. Over a decade and a half would pass since the murders of Glyndor Collins and Brenda McCauley. Lee Ford had not been found or came forward, and in all likelihood by 1990, no one would recognise him anyway. But out of the blue, it was reported that a man was being questioned by Sussex police in connection with the murders. On August 16th, 1990, a police spokesperson said, a man was arrested in connection with a double murder at Kensington Palace, Brighton on September 24, 1974. Leslie Appleton was driving a dilapidated van when he was pulled over by police. Upon searching the vehicle, 
cannabis was discovered. The 56-year-old driver who was arrested and had his fingerprints taken said he was from North Holt, Middlesex and explained he had the unusual job of selling handmade garden gnomes at markets. Leslie Appleton's fingerprints were found at the scene in 1974. Reporting on the case was scarce, maybe due to the earlier complaint with Glindor's family or loss of interest through the passage of time. Glyndor Collins' father had passed away in 1979, but his mother Mabel was still alive when the arrest was made. It turns out that when 56-year-old Leslie Appleton appeared before a Brighton court in 1991, he had previously gone by a different name. Leslie Appleton was in fact Lee Ford, and after over a decade and a half in hiding, his previous identity had been discovered. He would now have to face the charges that had been awaiting him for all that time. Lee Ford told the court of an incredible account of the night in August 1974, where Glyndor Collins and Brenda McCauley were brutally murdered. He admitted that the couple had in fact come back to his flat to continue drinking with him, but according to Lee Ford, the mood turned sour when Glyndor physically attacked Brenda. Stepping in to break up the fight... Glyndor violently retaliated by stabbing Lee Ford and pushing him down the stairs, briefly rendering him unconscious. When he regained consciousness at the bottom of the stairs, Ford could hear another man in his home, a man with a Scottish accent, and he was squabbling with Glyndor Collins. Nursing his bloody face which had been slashed with a knife before he was pushed down the stairs, Ford fled and planned to walk to the hospital which would have taken around 25 minutes from Kensington Street. For some reason, he never got to the hospital, instead telling the court he wandered in a daze for days with no specific destination. It was during this time that fate blew a newspaper down the street, which he picked up and read. It said he was wanted by police, and his house guests had been murdered in a fire in his flat. Ford didn't turn himself in. He hid for a few days in a quarry, fleeing to London to create a new life, before he came to the attention of police again, 16 years later. The idea of a fourth person in the flat at the time of the murders did not seem so ludicrous. The safari jacket that the prosecution claimed was worn by the killer was shown to the court. A forensic scientist testified that it was stained with blood. Four separate blood groups were identified. The match to Glyndor Collins, Brenda McCauley, Lee Ford and a fourth unknown person. 
Ford was asked by the prosecution to put on the jacket. Though Ford had apparently slimmed down since 1974, the garment was a few sizes too small for him. When the jury reached a decision, Lee Ford was found not guilty of murder, but guilty for the lesser charge of manslaughter. The manslaughter charge can be introduced by the judge or defence, committed either through a voluntary or involuntary action. The former relating to diminished responsibility, and the latter where there has been a blatant disregard for the dangers of a particular situation with the death of another person being caused by recklessness or criminal negligence. The judge, Mr Justice Buckley, told Ford, During the last 17 years you must have suffered consistently through anxiety if nothing else. You were a man who had made himself a thoroughly decent life and you do not seem to be a person who could be of any danger to the public. By this time, it had been 15 months since Lee Ford's arrest, all of which he spent in custody awaiting trial. Time served was deducted from his three-year sentence for the manslaughter of Brenda and Glindor, meaning with good behaviour, he would need to serve only four more months in prison. So where are we now? The puzzling nature of not only the case, but Lee Ford's disappearance, echoed the circumstances that surrounded those early morning hours of September 24th, 1974. The trial left even more questions than answers. The events that led to the death of Glyndor Collins and Brenda McCauley may never be known. There is only one man that truly knows what happened, and that man is Lee Ford. Thank you for listening, and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. Information on this episode can be found in the show notes, or on our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love 
and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.